listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. This is another special episode in our series on the book, Flip the Script, where we're talking about new strategies to reach the next generation for Jesus. The Flip the Script book is one that uh, we have authored as a LifeWay Kids team, myself, along with my friends and partners, Jana McGritter and Stephanie Salvatore. Jana and Stephanie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank Thank you. you. Well, you guys said that together. That was really good. (laughs) You almost had harmonies in there. We were just talking a minute ago about old Christian music, 90s music and 80s music, and how that was, Stephanie, for you and me in particular, that was kind of influential in our faith. Oh, yeah. I was a new believer. I did not know that existed. And then all of a sudden, this whole new world of music had opened up to me. A whole new world. That's different. (laughs) We can't sing that Disney copyright. But yeah, it was a whole new world, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't know it existed before that moment. Christian music back then really shaped my faith as a young person. I remember digging through the bin like at my local Christian bookstore. I'm sure it was not a Lifeway store. May they rest in peace. We love (laughs) Lifeway stores and miss them terribly. However, there was a bin that was like the $5 bin where you could dig through and dig out CDs or cassettes out of that thing. And I discovered so many random Christian artists through those bins. Yeah, that's probably where I got all my theology for the first three yeah, years too. of my me Christian too. life. So funny. Anyhow, yeah, that music was so fun. It was part of the way that the culture kind of influenced our faith. Sure. And that's a really light segue into the fact, guys, that the culture around us really does influence the faith of our kids uh, in the way that we approach talking about Jesus to the generation. That music was a timely way, the right thing at the right time in my life. We need to make sure that we are doing things that allow us to make real connection and uh, that's that's genuine and authentic and, uh, and approachable to a generation who doesn't know the Lord uh, so that we can bring Jesus to them, not to repackage Jesus, but to communicate clearly in ways that they understand the message of the gospel. And we've got some work to do to be able to do that as we as preschool kids and student ministry leaders, next gen leaders, look to... Um, understand and reach Gen Z and Generation Alpha for Jesus, there are some things that we need to know. And so we uh, have kicked off a series. This is episode two in a five-part series on our book, Flip the Script, which listeners, I would love for you to go find a copy of this book. The easiest way to find a physical copy is at lifeway.com slash flip the script. That'll take you straight to the book, or you can find information and links to get there from our Lifeway Kids landing page at lifeway.com slash kids, where there's a bunch of other great resources too. In a little while, we're going to tell you how you can get a free digital version of the book. So stay tuned for information on that and then get yours and tell your friends. But the book is called Flip the Script, and it's about disrupting tradition for the sake of reaching the next generation. Uh, We talked last uh, episode in our introductory episode. Listeners, if you missed that, go back to lifeway.com slash kids, click or wherever you listen to podcasts, click on that last episode and find the introduction where we do the full span of the book. We're going to do a series of deep dives into some of the detail of the research and of the philosophy and the strategy that have come out of it, ultimately that point to a brand new resource that we are launching as LifeWay Kids. So the book is Flip the Script, and let's uh, let's dive in, guys. One of the things that we've discovered as we talk about the influence of culture and the need for us to be aware of culture, we set out months and months and months ago now without knowing what we were getting into, and we had set out with a term that we sort of coined 
about this research and this resource that we were going to get into. And we said we wanted to uh, create a culturally aware resource. Let's talk about what, how did Jana go and way back to the beginnings as we talked about a, cult, a resource for the culturally aware church mm-hmm. or a resource that was culturally aware, mm-hmm. going all the way back to that in your mind, uh, not knowing it would lead us to where we are today. What were your initial thoughts about that whole endeavor? We've been talking about this since before the pandemic. So I was doing a, in preparation for this podcast, looking at old emails, and it goes back to 2019, some of the conversations we were having way back then. Um, And so this has been on our hearts, really, for at least three or four years. And it started off, honestly, thinking through how can we better serve churches that are out of the Southeast? Mm -hmm. Because we know that the Southeast is sometimes called the Bible Belt. We all live in Nashville, which is sometimes called the buckle of the Bible Belt. Right. Um, And all that means is there are more churches, and therefore there is more awareness of church, even if you're not a Christian or didn't grow up in church. In the Southeast. In the Southeast. And so we wanted to challenge ourselves to um, expand our view to uh, more secular regions of the United States. And so the Northeast, the Northwest, the West Coast— Uh, and really focus on those regions and experience what they are experiencing as they're trying to do ministry in harder places that don't have a saturation of the church. There was some motivation. So we had been thinking about this way back pre-pandemic. I remember we had sketches on paper stuck on walls and whiteboard discussions and all kinds of things about how do we as Lifeway, as Lifeway kids— how do we reach this kind of church who maybe we're not reaching as well as we want to uh, at that point in time? And we mentioned, uh, you know, we live in Nashville. That's where Lifeway is headquartered. Uh, and, and there's sort of been this kind of general understanding that we serve. We just, and it just as it works, we serve the Southeast really heavily. There's a lot of churches here. There's a lot of Southern Baptist churches here. There's a lot of conservative churches here that aligns really well with what Lifeway has done with excellence for hundreds of years. And we serve them really well through our resources, Bible Studies for Life, Explore the Bible, and the Gospel Project. And there are many, many churches who are are doing fantastic ministry with those amazing resources that we already create. But we realized there may be, as we put pins on a map, opportunity for us to raise our awareness of churches in other places that may be, and as we talk about the influence of secularism and the secular culture in our communities. There are churches in regions where the culture is really not welcome to the gospel, where the church is not a place that is uh, a part of uh, the regular comings and goings of people. In the South, it's kind of understood that there's at least a cultural Christianity that Maybe you attend the church and there's that question. When, when So I'm not from the South. I grew up in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and lived in California for a long time. Steph, you're not from the South. Mm-mm. You're a Midwestern girl and a New Yorker. You've got all that going on. And so, Jana, you're from Austin, from Texas in the cool areas like Austin, which are very different than the Bible Belt, right? And so we are aware, the three of us, that it's not like it is here everywhere and that uh, another part of that was our new president at the time, Ben Mandrell, had come from a church planting experience in Denver. Right. And he brought with him some insight about what it was like to plant a church there 
and some of the things that he ran up against. What do you guys recall were some of those things that he had expressed as difficulties? One thing that sticks out that uh, that he said was one of his first sermons at uh, at his church plant storyline. Yeah, uh, in Denver. Uh, in storyline. Denver. Hello. Um, a a gentleman came up to him after after the service and said that was a great presentation because he didn't really know the lingo of saying great even the word sermon or message even it was a presentation so he kind of he was a businessman and he you know used that kind of language and so that's one of many things Uh, but what would it look like if we assumed nothing if we assumed no background no understanding of who God is what the church is or does, or even what the Bible is for. So we, he challenged us, we challenged ourselves to, to dig in and figure out, okay, what would it look like if we assumed nothing? And that's kind of where this conversation started. Yeah. So we said we, we need to have create resources that are aware of the culture not just as a whole, but in specific areas where it's where it's difficult, and so we know that more in the, our country is becoming more and more post-Christian, and the influence of secularism has become stronger to the point where research would indicate that if the current trends don't change by 2030, more than 70 percent of the population will not identify as Christian. Steph, that's a pretty sobering statistic. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and we're basing that from this current group of millennials. It's the first generation in which fewer than half identify as a Christian. And that is, of course, lower than Gen X, lower than boomers. It's just dropping with each generation. Yeah, with each generation, fewer and fewer identify as Christian and church attendance continues to decrease. And so that really is problematic, right? Because the trend is clear, Jana. It's not going upward. We're not having more people come to church. It's gonna, it's fewer and fewer. It's decreasing rapidly. So it's always been decreasing to a certain extent, but it's been a slow drip. All of a sudden, it's accelerated. It's accelerated, and we've got a lot of charts and graphs that show that in a visual way, and it is jarring to see how quickly that trend is going. Yeah, so that falls in, you have this big, long 60-year span where church attendance or church membership dropped 15%, and then you have this following 11-year span where it dropped another equally as much, 14%. In a much shorter span of time. Yeah, in just 11 years as opposed to 60 years. We also know statistically that confidence in the church has fallen. There There was a time in our culture where even people who were not Christians or who were not church members thought highly of the church in terms of its reputation and had respect for it as an organization. Uh, And even that has declined. Yeah. So back in the 1970s, um, confidence in church uh, was up around between 60 and 70 percent. And today it's more like in the 30 percent. And we know that uh, other statistics tell us that uh, even serving churchgoers and Christians 52% of non-Christians say that church is no longer relevant in the world today. More than half, that it's not even relevant. Not relevant. And then uh, of churched adults, 32% say that they leave the worship service feeling disappointed by the experience at least half the time. Mm -hmm. So even people who are attending church 
are not bought in at the level that we might hope. That's a third of them who leave dissatisfied. And 57% of church adults say a, a growing number of people that they know are tired of the usual type of church experience. Well, that's a lot. So in that, the takeaway is if we just continue to do what we've always done, we're not heading in a direction that we want to be heading. And, and so, thus, flip the script. Thus, we need, <laughs> guys, thus, we, it, we this is sobering, right? The, the reality yeah. is that things are not moving in a direction that's favorable. Uh, and, and so as people who are committed to bringing Jesus to the generation, we are committed to bringing the gospel to, the, to a world who desperately needs Jesus, we need to reevaluate our strategies. We need to reevaluate the way that we approach and engage with the culture. And so we need to know the reality of the statistics. We need to be aware of the trajectory of the trends. And those things need to influence what we do. Definitely. Of course, as we're seeing these trends of fewer and fewer people attending church, fewer and fewer people um, identifying as Christian, you know, what we're looking at is that means, conversely, secularism rules the day. The majority of people in the world today or in the United States are really kind of bought into a completely secularized philosophy. Yeah. And and we see that in the culture. It's we it, it's subtle sometimes, mm -hmm. but that influence of secularism is even in the church, the way that we function and operate and think. We have to be really careful that the worldview of a secular mindset doesn't permeate what we're doing. So we need to be aware of what the secular world is thinking. What is that mindset? Well, I think a lot of it goes back to this term expressive individualism uh, that we see uh, permeating our schools, our um, uh, just general culture, certainly the Internet. Uh, and that's one thing that we talk about in the book is that our kids and teenagers are global citizens because they have access to the entire world through the Internet, whether that's through the YouTube shows that they watch for those that are on TikToks, that's very worldview shaping. Um, and therefore, that I think that's why we see that rapid decrease mm -hmm. is because we have access to all these worldviews, not just by where you live in, in Austin or wherever, but through the Internet. And so that exposes our kids to things that we would like to shelter them from. Uh, is almost impossible because of them being that global citizen and having access to the entire YouTube network. And it really affects kids so much more than adults. For oh. adults, they kind of, their formative years may have been different, and now they're sort of being affected by all of these ideas. But for kids, these are their formative years. This expressive individual culture is kind of what is informing all of their kind of growth and experience. And it's what's shaping their identity now. And one of the big things that we know we need to speak to that we referenced last time that we'll get into more deeply as we move forward is the idea that we need to, as the church, speak to more than um, behavioral values. Uh, we need to not be about behavior modification, do this and don't do that. We need to be about more than filling kids' heads with Bible knowledge. There's a, we can teach Bible facts all day, and we can teach biblical behavior all year. But if we don't reach the heart, 
we're not reaching the, the soul. The child won't be changed. And so ultimately what we need to speak to in terms that the culture would use is we need to have our identity redefined by Jesus. So this message of the secular culture is not, I would tend to say, let's talk about this. In my perception, it's not this big giant billboard that says, we're a secular culture and here's what we want you to, to believe. It's just embedded in everything. We, we use the word, it's pervasive. Uh, and it's really persuasive on our kids. It's not a, a, an overt uh, message, but it's a really covert one that's woven into a lot of different things with our movies and music and messaging that kids are hearing every day. Jana, you mentioned the, the, the core beliefs, and there are seven of them of expressive individualism. Let's review those, Steph, and then let's talk a bit about some of the things that we may be hearing in the culture that under uh, undergird or that uh, tap into this way of thinking. Sure. So Mark Sayers identified seven different core beliefs that are kind of really the foundation of this idea of expressive individualism. The first one is that the very most important thing is individual freedom and not just individual freedom, but that freedom, especially to define myself and then to express that definition. Yeah, that's interesting that the the highest good, I think is how he says it, is mm-hmm. individual freedom, that which is counter to scripture, right? The Definitely. idea that God's word is true and there's truth is truth. There is truth. This is completely opposed to that idea. And this basically says you define your own truth. Right. And often that is about how to find happiness. And so our culture rewards uh, individualistic type of expression. Mm -hmm. And so our kids are hearing the message that they've got to be themselves. You be you, be yourself, and then kind of stick with it. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is if people don't necessarily like that, or you don't get as many likes on your Instagram account. For whatever it is that you've chosen to be or identify with. That you have chosen to lean into. Um, and by the way, we're not just talking about hot button topics like like gender issues, although that is part of it. And it is influenced by and it us. is yes. influenced by it. But just things like, you know, I've decided uh, I want to lean into being a YouTuber and I want to have my own show. And, and, and the culture is telling me that I, I should do that and I should talk about things that that um, that I think are are cool or funny or, or however kids want to do a YouTube channel. And then when that is not necessarily embraced by all of your peers and and all you know how, whatever you put out there is not necessarily embraced, um, then you're like, well, who am I then? And so that's why we we lean into this concept of helping kids understand their identity in light of who God is. Even little phrases like you just you just rolled into and rattled off a phrase that a lot of us may hear on a regular basis. It's just that you be you. You know, you do you, boo, whatever that is, right? Where that is a statement that is reinforcing a non-biblical worldview. So the second core belief um, that Mark Sayers identified is that tradition and religion, basically anything out there that might restrict my freedom or my freedom to express myself is evil. It has to be reshaped. It needs to be destroyed. It needs to be deconstructed in some way. We're not supposed to trust anything from the past or tradition. And so right away, I think of the church. Yeah. So the church would be um, 
something to not be trusted. And I think that that's another reason why we see the rapid decline of um, of not only not being a Christian, but even hostile to Christians. And that's what I hear as you read that stuff. Is it, there's hostility here? This says the the uh, traditions, religion, uh, received wisdom, which even includes the wisdom of adults, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Is must be destroyed or reshaped, deconstructed. Boy, and that's a hot topic. Yeah, for, don't we see that all over the place? Yeah, yes. and this is where that comes from. This this idea that my that self is the center mm-hmm. is a hundred percent opposed to the Word of God. So the third core belief, as long as our freedom to express and define ourselves is increasing, then the world is improving. So while a lot of us might look at things like the internet um, and say, yeah, there's great things that come from the internet, but there are also a lot of problems. This idea of uh, expressive individualism, individualism would say that, no, the internet is pure good because it is the path to complete freedom. It's the pathway towards improvement. And more is better. More options, whatever you want to identify as or be or do, is good. Uh, where anything that limits or restricts that is not. And I also think of a hot button topic that we don't need to get in here because it's 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 very current. Is this thought of AI? And so this generation is going to embrace that and want to see it go all the way, which we know could be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's already pretty dangerous. Well, that that makes me think of like the science fiction movie with AI where all that stuff takes over and there becomes this new utopia. And honestly, that that idea that we are moving towards utopia is mm-hmm. one of the tenets of secular individualism or expressive individualism is as you get more freedom to choose what you want to be and you're not limited by the church or religion or anything else, that is freedom. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's the opposite of freedom. Right. So the fourth one's really interesting. It has to do with social ethics. So um, social ethics in this kind of area of thought are always related to the tolerance of what other people believe. Um, so, so I must tolerate anything you, any way you've chosen to define yourself. If, if, uh, if I deviate from this tolerance, I am evil. There is something terribly wrong. Um, so like why your generation or my generation might have thought of social justice in terms of caring for the poor or the economically marginalized. Instead, this generation is going to see social ethics as all relating to protecting those whose, whose identity, the way they've defined themselves, has been marginalized. So it's that social justice is less about economics and it's more about uh inequality for those who may have a radical belief of some kind. Yeah. Except if you're a Christian. Right. And then that all of a sudden goes back to the not trusting institutions and and religion. And being seen as the oppressor. And the oppressor. And therefore, that's not going to necessarily be celebrated or protected. Right. So where where uh, core belief number four here was a long one. Number five is really short, Steph. Oh, it's easy. Humans are inherently good. Womp womp. Humans. <laughs> yeah. He, the idea that humans are inherently good is so counter to the idea that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need a savior. There's none who's righteous, not even one, is what the word tells us. 
And so the idea that what the world is, and guys, remember, this this is not stuff that kids are studying these seven tenets of expressive individualism. These are things that are woven into the cartoons that they watch and the YouTube shows that they see and the tweets that go out that say people are good. And that's completely opposed to what we know from God's word. Yeah, just diametrically opposed. That one to me just always sticks out because it's just so completely opposite. Yeah. So the next one is uh, large-scale institutions. Of course, the church would fall into that category, are suspicious and maybe even evil. And that goes back to the anti-Christian movement that is starting to take place, especially in more secular cities. Um, I think it's going to permeate, you know, where we live in the Bible Belt as well very soon. And that goes back to kids being global citizens and how rapidly and just the movement of um, the United States as we see people move from the West into the South, they're bringing those kinds of uh, belief systems with them. And so with that, although a lot of that is kind of deep and heavy and and, uh, hard to process and get all into the ramifications, on a surface level for me, it's like kids don't trust corporations or institutions. They don't trust companies or denominations. Their loyalty to those things is really uh, flighty, right? They're really uh, fickle in, in they don't, they're not loyal to anything, right? And so they move from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing based on what's best for me right now. And my filter for who I trust or where I go is really based on my perception of those things. Not, not that we're all about everybody should follow certain companies, but the, the, result of this is is loyalty to denominations or affiliations or even ways of thinking are not rooted and anchored. They're really shallow and uh, I guess unrooted, right? Yeah. So from the other perspective, as a ministry leader, that tells me I need to work hard to earn their trust. They are not going to automatically trust me. They're not going to automatically trust the church. Yeah. And so trust, a, a way that we can leverage some of this knowledge is that we can't assume we get trust because of the church we're in or the position we hold. Everything must be earned on an individual level and uh, and merited by individual uh, trust, respect, and influence. Relationship. Yeah. Sure. So then the last one, um, any external authority should be rejected. So the only proper place to look for authority is within, is within, within me. And so these are all things that we kind of see, Jana, coming out in the culture. We see these in movies. Uh, movies is a place that we've, uh, within the book, we identified several different different quotes. Uh, and some of these might be worth pulling out. Um, so, I mean, uh, and it's everywhere. And again, these are this is the subtle message that comes out in the culture. So in the movie The Flash, which is a DC comic movie, there's a quote that says, life doesn't give us purpose, we give life purpose. Again, putting the focus on self. I love to, uh, when we teach this out on the road in a training environment uh, or breakouts, uh, I love to put up the quote without the person who said it to uh, see if they it. can guess uh, who it is. And uh, so things like this one is the most recognizable. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, when I don't sing that, it might not be as recognizable. Yeah, that's a lyric oh, no, from they, a still song. Get it. they still get it. They get it every time. And, the, of course, that is Queen Elsa from Let It Go. 
from the movie Frozen, from right? Movie Highly Frozen. influential. Her song, the, Let It Go. Yeah, on the older kids in this generation and continues to be there. Um, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. The idea that it's me who decides. Uh, how about this one? Uh, the rest of the world may follow the rules, but I must follow my heart. Boy, guys, this idea of following your heart has been a message to kids for a long, long time. Sure, you know it goes what? back to there was an earlier one that was a follow your heart that was from the uh, Princess Diaries. Whatever choice you make, let it come from your heart. Yeah. Well, the one that I just read is Ernesto from uh, Coco. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, this message is so deep into everything that, and that the message of kids is, well, you, you, Jana, you follow your heart. Steph, you do you, right? And and so, guys, this we without even being aware, we can inadvertently be supporting a worldview that really we don't support. And it's not just in movies; it's all in the culture. So, influencers who have voices. So, uh, Beyonce said, your self-worth is determined by you. You don't have to depend on someone else telling you who you are. You decide, right? Yeah. And Beyonce is very influential in the music world. Um, I'm looking at one from a very popular, maybe the number two most popular next to Mr. Beast uh, YouTuber that a lot of kids watch is PewDiePie. So if you don't know that listener, you might want to look into him. Uh, he says... You just be you, and you don't let anyone tell you who you are. You don't need labels to make yourself feel valuable. You're better than that. That doesn't sound like bad advice. Right. It's very subtle. It's subtle. Um, it sounds almost right. But there are pro it's problematic when that is uh, the primary driver of how your worldview is shaped. And then uh, another influential actress, Kristen, St Kristen Stewart, said if you feel like you really want to define yourself and you have the abil ability to articulate those parameters that in itself defines you, then do it. If you have the ability to define yourself, then do it. And this is what secularism and expressive individualism is about. This is the strongest influence on our children. And as we come to them with the message of the gospel that is different than this, we have to find ways to build bridges so that we're not talking in a way that these things are are uh, denied before they can even enter their ears, right? They they can't even hear uh, what we're saying if if we don't make a connection uh, to them in a way that lets us communicate the gospel in a way that jives with this worldview that's so counter. Yeah, and I think some of the ways that we see this in our own ministries are we hear kids talking about my truth rather than the truth. Or we hear kids referring to my brand. They think of themselves as a brand, yeah. not as a, that, as a person. I would never wear that shirt. That's off-brand for off me. off-brand for right? me. Yeah. Um, you know, they may struggle with things like um, feeling like some biblical teachings are bigoted or, um, you know, a, a lot of those things that we in our generation might take as very obviously right or wrong, they're yes. going to question. Now, wait a minute. I've heard all of my life that that is okay. Um, so they're going to struggle. So some of those things uh, that we've identified, to, you know, what are, what are kids and students thinking? What are they thinking? Some of the things that we have heard from them is that they, they may feel that the, the idea that Jesus is the only way is intolerant. 
they challenge that the biblical teaching about binary gender is bigoted and unsafe. They refer to their own truth rather than the truth. This whole idea of making decisions by following their heart or finding their inner self or tapping their inner power. Uh, and then the idea that they celebrate others' choices of how they define themselves regardless of behavior and certainly not aligned with any particular biblical standard about those behaviors. And they're going to struggle with things like the idea that we have a sinful nature and, and that that is kind of what the truth is. They're going to struggle with that. That goes back to thing number five from your expressive individual list yeah. that humans are inherently good, right? Yeah. That's completely opposed, as we said. I think another hallmark that I would just mention before we close is the state of mental health for um, Gen Z and now Generation Alpha. A lot of our research on Gen Z informs Generation Alpha. Yeah. And so that is something that we listeners, you're aware of uh, because we hear about it all the time. And we know that people in our church struggle with things like anxiety and loneliness and depression. Uh, we know that our kids are exposed to um, all of the news. They hear all of the news, everything bad that happened in your community Everything that happened bad in the United States and the world, they hear about. And so, of course, there's going to be more stress, more anxiety, more fear, um, even to go to school or to, certainly to church. We've got viruses now. We've got school shootings. All of our kids are aware of those things. And so I think that's another hallmark of this generation that we need to constantly be culturally aware about. And there was, Jana, I've heard you say, there was an epidemic of loneliness, isolation, and anxiety in kids that was recognizable and chartable pre-pandemic. Right. Going back to 2017, 18, 19, mm -hmm. that has only been enhanced or exacerbated by the pandemic that we've just come through, which has driven us into further isolation right. and greater fear right. in our kids. We have kids who have never been socialized in the sense that they're not, they've been, when they were little, they didn't go to school or didn't go to church in a way where they were around other people. And so there's uh, social interactions are compromised and delayed, uh, but also anxiety is heightened. And so one of the things that we like to note is that, you know, it, it, we know that this generation is the most connected generation of all time through technology. And so we may think of them as a very connected generation, but we also know statistically that uh, mental health research shows that they are the most isolated, isolated. and lonely generation yep. of all time. The connections that they may find through technology or on their phones are false, mm -hmm. and are shallow, and are empty. And kids are seeking those things. They're looking for belonging. They're looking for connection. They're looking for relationship. They're looking for acceptance in all these wrong places. And guys, our kids are going to find them somewhere. So we as the church need to be increasingly intentional to make sure that as, as kids in the culture are looking for a place to belong, looking for a place to identify that they find belonging in our churches and they find identity in Christ. And so that's the story of Flip the Script. All this research, guys, that we put so much work into, and thank you both for all your effort to get this data, to do the research, to articulate it and design it and present it so well. It is so helpful in the work that the three of us have gotten to do together has been, um, parts of it have been hard because some of it is really sobering, mm -hmm. but it's been so 
exciting at the same time to see how understanding the problem allows us to formulate some some sense of a solution. Sure, being able to articulate it feels like then you can start forming, where do I go from here? Yeah, when we don't know where we're going, we don't know how to get there. Yeah, we there was a conference that Jana and I taught last year on this, and following, I had someone come up and say, I have seen all this and known all this and experienced all this, but I never was able to kind of put it into words to know kind of, okay, this is the problem, and I've identified the problem and defined it, and now I know what to do about it. Yeah. Well, so all of this is articulated and written out with the words in the book, Flip the Script. Flip the Script is our new book, uh, Jana, Stephanie, and I uh, called, uh, or that's all about uh, unpacking this research and identifying some ministry strategies, philosophies uh, that we can employ to help us more effectively understand and reach Gen Z and Generation Alpha for Jesus. So we want to make it easy for you to cop- to get a copy of the book. We are making available to you as a listener of this episode a free digital copy of Flip the Script. What? Free. Yes, free. F-R-E-E. Now you got to go get it, listeners. It's totally free and it's ready for you to download right now. The URL you need to go to is, are you ready? Write this down, type it in, go get it. Lifeway.com slash flip the script download. That's a little hard to say. Lifeway.com slash flip the script download is where you go. There's a little form to fill out and you click submit and you will get this ebook right away. There's also a beautiful physical book that if you do not have on your shelf, I want to encourage you to get a copy or a couple that you can give to important people in your life who need to have the physical copy or just who appreciate the gorgeous aesthetic of the book. You can get that at lifeway.com slash flip the script. So find the book, at the physical book at lifeway.com slash flip the script, and you can pick that up there or get the free one, lifeway.com slash flip the script download. All of this research Uh, is informing a brand new resource that we are creating as LifeWay Kids that will be available this fall. It's called Hi-Fi. And Hi-Fi is a resource that's been created to help you help kids find real connection and true belonging and discover their real identity is in Christ and has to be found in Him. They need to understand the, we need to understand the real needs of real kids in a real culture. And we need to point them and connect them to real connection, real relationship with the real God through Jesus. You can find out more about HiFi, the resource at myhifi.com, M-Y-H-Y-F-I.com. And you can download sample sessions of preschool kids and students. It's a next gen resource. So it's preschool kids and students, and it's a strategy. Uh, it employs the strategy outlined in Flip the Script. Guys, thank you both for being here today and for this great conversation. Glad to be here. Yes, it was fun. And listeners, thank you. We always love having you. And I hope that this content is inspiring and encouraging to you as you seek to reach the kids and families in your communities for Jesus. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back again next time for another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast.